All right, go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give as God has given to us. If you're like me and you look around in this room and you see hundreds of empty blue chairs, uh, one, you're not the only one who's seeing that. And there's a really good reason behind that. As a church, philosophically, we believe that it's better for us to be a conduit of God's blessing and sending out everything we can than to be a dam and to keep all good things indoors. So that means that eight weeks ago, we commissioned a 150 people, uh, including lead pastor John Richardson, uh, Stephen Rutledge, and all the worship team, and everyone who works in kids, uh, to go out and to plant Prodigal Church, which meets at Bullard, and their high school, their uh, their kickoff service is next Sunday. That is a really good thing. As you look around and you see empty chairs, those represent bodies of people who have said, I'm not just going to stay here, do everything comfortable. I'm going to go start something completely new uh, in a new place. So as we see that, that is a great sign. And their kickoff is next week, so we're going to pray for them uh, right now. Jesus, we thank you for Prodigal Church. We thank you for what you're doing uh, through Pastor John and through his team. Uh, and Jesus, we want this place, their place, Uh, as they meet this Sunday, to be one that's full of your presence. Uh, And we want the good news to go forth in a way that that brings people to you. So we thank you for Pastor John, for his heart, for his team, uh, and for all the good things that you're going to do through Prodigal. Uh, And thank you that we have uh, reminders around us uh, of the people who went and uh, the way that you're going to bless them as they've gone. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, yeah, so we are, uh, this is my seventh Sunday here as the campus pastor, uh, and we are doing uh, everything we can to reach everyone around here with the good news of Jesus because he loves uh, the Sunnyside area and he wants a relationship with them. Today we're going to be in Exodus starting in chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to get there in a little bit. Uh, We're looking at the whole book of Exodus and we're joining the story. God has a destiny for Moses who is the main human in the book of Exodus. The whole book is about God, but he uses Moses as a central figure uh, to tell his story. And one of the things that God is reminding us as we read the book of Exodus is that for each and every one of us, our lives have a destiny. There are relationships to be reconciled. There are areas to serve for us to step into. We are made for so much more than just breathing oxygen. God has passions. God has gifts. God wired us all uniquely for a destiny. And our job is to step into following God in that. And so he uses the person of Moses in the book of Exodus to show us page after page after page that God is completely in charge and that our destiny for each and every one of us is held in his hands. And within that destiny for all of us, there are going to be times where we need second chances. For me, I I think in my life, uh, it took me two years to ask out my wife. We met uh, in January of our freshman year uh, in college and March uh, of our junior year, so two years of me maturing and becoming uh, not a weirdo. Uh, that, that was my time of keeping an eye on her from a safe distance. This isn't like stalking, okay? Stalking is a rom- long romantic walk that two people go on that only one person knows about. Okay, this was not it. Uh, but th- this was kind of like thinking, okay, am I ever going to be able to be with her? And so it, it finally came, like the opportunity. You know in your heart when, when like it, the moment is right, okay? So uh, we're walking back to her apartment. We both lived on campus at college. And I asked her something horrible. If you're going to ask out somebody in your next few days, weeks, months, uh, don't use this, okay? I, I'm, I was nervous. I said the wrong thing. And I asked her, is it okay if sometime I ask you to coffee? 
That is dumb, okay? Don't add, go with some authority, go with some guts, go with some conviction. So I recoiled from that and immediately like ran to my apartment, hoped that she never would see me, but it's a small school and we had class together. So a few weeks later, I wasn't in class. Uh, for whatever reason it was, I just wasn't there. And so she called me after class, which is like an act of God because I was not that cool. Uh, so I pick up the phone. It's Anna Rutherford. Uh, she wants to know why I wasn't in physical science because she was really bummed I wasn't there, which shows you that science is boring. Uh, because if I am the reason that it gets exciting, then it must be really, really boring. Uh, and so she says, why weren't you there? And this is like the, the clouds are parting. The sun is shining on my apartment. And I said, yeah, I wasn't in class today. But how about I take you out to lunch next week? Boom! She says, yes, one thing leads to another, 13 years of marriage, three kids, and I needed my second chance. If I ended that relationship with it, is it okay if sometime I maybe, if it's okay with you, shut up, no. I ended with, or I led with, and one thing led to another with, yeah, I wasn't in class, but how about I make it up to you by buying you lunch? Like, I needed that second chance. For all of us in our lives, we have destinies and we need second chances because each and every one of us has a destiny that we are struggling to fulfill. My destiny of asking out my wife struggled through, is it okay if sometime I possibly, if it's all right with you, have coffee with you? We don't have enough to be at the same coffee shop together. No, like it, it struggled through a wussy attempt at asking out. And it was succeeded in a gutsy, I'm going to take you out to lunch next week. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. Maybe that's just how I remember it. But Moses, he has his chance at his destiny. He falls flat on his face, and then God uses that failure to bring him into something good. This is Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. I'm going to read a little bit of a story. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he, came, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking at all Looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. And the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and our judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the wilderness of Midian. So backstory, Moses is born as a Hebrew when the Hebrew people are slaves in the country of Egypt. The, there was a death penalty for every young boy born into the Hebrew race at that point. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, said, we don't want any more Hebrews around. They're starting to outnumber our people. So every boy that's born, throw them in the river. We don't want them around. Moses' mom has her baby, hides her baby. After three months, she can't keep her baby hidden anymore. So she puts him in a boat and sends him down the Nile River because there's nothing she can do. Pharaoh's daughter, who we're going to say for the sake of math in a little bit, is about 16. Uh, she sees this little baby, sees him helpless. Her heart is moved with compassion. She picks him up, sees that he's a Hebrew child, and takes him home to raise him as, his own, as her own. This is God's beginning of his plan to rescue his people. He's got Moses whose heart is going to be soft towards injustice as he grows up because he's going to use, God is going to use that softness. He's going to use that sensitivity that Moses has to lead his people into freedom. 
So what happens is one day Moses is out leaving the palace around his people, the Israelites, and he sees one of his people being mistreated. And so he steps into his destiny as somebody who's going to bring freedom, who's going to end oppression, who's going to bring those who are being mistreated into a very, very good future. And instead of stepping in with the power and the methods and living a life that God would approve of, he steps in with murder. He steps in with violence. And because of that, he has to flee. God has this destiny for him that he's going to free his people, but instead of freeing his people, he puts them under more pressure and puts himself under extreme captivity to the place where he has to leave. Middle of the night, gone. Because he doesn't want to die. I think there's a really interesting thing here uh, for a lot of us who are parents, and, and specifically adoptive parents, okay? For those of you, you stepped into a situation to be the hands and feet and mother and father that God would be, but in a tangible, physical way to a, par- to a child who didn't have parents. That's what Pharaoh's daughter did. She risked her life to bring life to somebody who was supposed to be dead. And so she raises him. Scholars think around at this time, Moses was 40 years old. So Pharaoh's daughter was 16 when she pulled Moses out of the water. She's 56 here. And one day, the child that she has raised, the child that she sacrificed everything for, is gone in the middle of the night. Gone. 56. The person you've spent the last 40 years of your life caring for and growing, he's gone. Moses was gone for 40 years until he came back to Egypt, which means that his mom was probably 96 when she came back, when Moses came back. That means she probably never saw him again. That's a horribly sad way uh, to watch the child that you rescued just disappear from your life. And that's really, really common for anyone who's a parent. What God wants to say in times like this is that he sees our pain, he sees that hurt. And he's not just going to say, I hope you get better. He's going to invade that with his spirit, with his presence. And he's going to take what's been broken inside of our hearts. And he's going to make it right. He's going to put it back together. He's going to comfort us when we mourn. He's going to lead us when we're sad. Because that's what he has always done. Moses, however, he needs a second chance. And the God of second chances sends us back into our destiny even after our failure. So Moses flees. Okay, he had a chance to step in and fight injustice. He does because that's his destiny, but he does it all wrong. And he creates the opportunity for a second chance by messing up the first one. And so this is what happens. Verse 15. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. And now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw, to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. When some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds, and then he drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked, Why have you come back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us, and he watered our flocks. Where is he? the father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation, and he settled there with them. In time, Reuel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. And later she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. For he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. This is it. Moses gets a second chance. Once again, he's at a place where he's seeing somebody being treated unjustly as his destiny. Moses is the type of person who's going to rescue people from oppression. He steps into who he is, but instead of doing it poorly, he does it well this time. And what happens is he's rewarded with a father-in-law. 
He's, Moses has come to this place totally alone, and he steps into a family. He's got a father-in-law who's wealthy, who's going to look over him, who's going to help him get himself on his feet. He gets a wife. He gets a son. He steps into a place of blessing. Why? Because God gave him a second chance. Moses responds to his second chance. He goes from somebody who's fleeing, somebody who's blown up their first opportunity, who's, we could say they've ruined their destiny. And God says, no, 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 nothing is ruined with me. I'm going to keep getting involved. Verse 23, he says, years passed, and then the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. I love that line. God heard the groaning. God saw the situation, and God knew that it was time to act. And so one day, while Moses is going through the rest of his life, he's taking care of sheep. He's he's watching over his family's stuff. He's serving in in what he's supposed to be doing. God invades his life with another second chance. First one, he responded to poorly. The second one, he responded to well. So then God brings him into the ask of a lifetime. Steven Spielberg did a really good job of explaining it, so let's watch a movie. I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry. Stop it! Leave that man alone! So I have come down to deliver them out of slavery and bring them to a good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And so unto Pharaoh... I shall send you. Me? Who am I to lead these people? They'll never believe me. They won't even listen. I shall teach you what to say. Let my people go. But I was their enemy. I was the prince of Egypt, the son of the man who slaughtered their children. You've you've chosen the wrong messenger. How, How can I even speak to these people? Who made man's mouth? Who made the deaf, the mute, the seeing, or the blind? Did not I? Now go! Moses has four questions of God when God tells him to go, when God speaks to him through a burning bush. He's got four questions. The first one of those is, is who am I? And God answers him, I will be with you. I will teach you what to say. Moses gets a second chance at a relationship with God. For all of us, this is our story. Just like Moses, we are drawn out of something. Moses was drawn out of the water. We're drawn out of our own darkness, our own slavery, and we're brought into relationship with God. For Moses, God tells him, go back to Egypt. But here's the thing. Here's the difference. I'm going with you this time. Before you acted out, you went out to bring freedom to, uh, to a Hebrew, but you brought it with violence. This time, you're bringing it with my presence. Moses showed up at Midian alone, this place where he had nothing. He says, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. That's what he names his son as like a big reminder. Hey, I'm here alone. And God says, I will meet you here. This is God's stamp saying we can never say, we can never answer God with anything. Yeah, but I can't because of blank. 
Moses is a scared, running, wanted man who's in a foreign land as a fugitive. And God says, I'm sending you back, but I'm sending you back with my presence. For every single, yeah, but God, that we could throw out there, God, I can't have a good marriage because I've cheated. God, I can't be a good parent because my parents were bad. God, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. God answers with, I'm, it's different now because I'm here. Moses says, I can't. God says, I can And for us today, living thousands of years later on the other side of Jesus, our can is answered by Jesus. God went to meet Moses in a bush, but God meets each of us in our hearts through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We talk about shape journals here all the time. You can purchase one on your way out, or you can read the readings uh, on our website each week or each day. Uh, Daily is much better than weekly. But shape journaling is our church's Bible reading and journaling plan of reading through uh, the Bible every day. It's three chapters a day. One chapter from the life of Jesus or the few years after it and two chapters from the thousands of years leading up to it. And this week in John, Jesus began to talk about the Holy Spirit, which hadn't yet happened because Jesus was still on earth, but has happened uh, now. And that's how God lives in us. So on Thursday, we read this. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. Later will be in you. I love that. Jesus is saying, you know the Holy Spirit because it's me. I've been with you for three years. I've shown you my power. I've shown you my mercy. I've shown you my compassion. I've told you to do new things and you've done them and you've seen miraculous results. But soon I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be raised from the dead and I'm gonna go back to heaven. I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit, which will now live inside of you. For us, that is the answer to every single I can't is God says, yeah, it's not you anymore. You're not alone. Just like Moses who went to Midian alone and got sent back with the presence of the Lord, we come into this world far away from God. We make the decision individually, become followers of God, and inside of us, God moves in. God says that person, that life, however much brokenness you think you can bring in, God says that's a great place for me to live. I'll take that place. I'll take that person. I'll take every single one of those, yeah, but I can't, And I will show them that my presence meets them them in their can't and leads them into the future I have for them. Second question he asks, verse 13. He says, Moses protests, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the leaders of Israel. Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I have seen how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, where they now live. And the the elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell them, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. 
Moses asks, what's your name? Who's sending me? And God says, tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And he says, I am that I am. The, 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 de- the definition, the understanding behind that is whatever thing you bring to me that you need me to accomplish in your life, I am more than capable of doing it. Whatever picture you can get in your head of who God actually is, it's bigger than that. We picture God as holy and it's bigger than that. We picture God as righteous and now not having any darkness in him in any single way. It's bigger than that. We picture God as merciful and compassionate. It's bigger than that. We even write the list of who we, got, we think God is and he says, you know what? Once again, I am bigger than that. This is who God is saying is gonna go with Moses as he goes back. He says, you're going to find favor with the leaders. You're going to find favor with Pharaoh. This big ask to remove the whole labor force of a country, to take it into a new land. You're going to find that I am capable to actually do this. He's calling him to a new future. It's a second chance to trust God with a new future. And what I love about this whole thing is God never says, you know what? Don't worry about the slavery. Don't worry about Pharaoh. Don't worry about how big he is. Don't worry about how powerful he is. Don't worry about the threats of death that you think are coming your way. Don't worry about that. He never says that. Because when God looks at us, when God is calling us to a new life with him, he never minimizes the difficulty that it's going to be. He looks right at it and he says, you know what? This obstacle, it might be huge, but I'm bigger. The obstacle will not change. The approach will change because Moses is going back into this just like we go into our everyday lives, not just as people running on our own power, but as men and women who are empowered by God to make a difference in our world, to step into the destiny that the Lord has for us. And he gives an illustration. He gives a picture of what he's talking about. He uses three names, that th- these old men that he keeps referring back to, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 where God tells Abraham, a 75-year-old man, we talked about this last week, uh, that you and your wife are going to have a baby even though you are old and she is advanced in age because he knows not to tell a woman she's old. And and God begins from this old couple, uh, a family. And God says, I'm going to show you how powerful I am because this family isn't really like an amazing family, okay? There's infidelity, there's childlessness, which has made their hearts totally hard toward God. There's generational habitual lying. There's brothers going to war with each other. There's more generational habitual lying. There's sibling rivalry where they try to kill one brother and sell him off as slaves. There's more generational habitual lying. God's saying, I'm the God of that family. And if I can make sense out of that family, leading 1.2 million people out of slavery, that's going to be like a cakewalk. I am powerful enough and I will lead you into that new future. That's what God is saying. The God that can make sense out of that family disaster, out of Abraham, out of Isaac, out of Jacob, the God that can make sense out of that, that's who's leading you, leading you into a new future. And so Moses has another question. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? This is chapter four, verse one. What if they say the Lord never appears to you? Then the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? It's a shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Just throw it down on the ground, the Lord said. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord said, reach out and grab the tail. 
So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob, has really appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white with snow, with, white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back in your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in his cloak. When he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they don't believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River, pour it out on the ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. So Moses says, what if they don't believe me? And God says, I'm going to answer that with signs and power, with things that only I can do. God gives Moses a second chance to choose faith over fear. The first time Moses stepped out to fight injustice, he fought it with fear. He, he killed someone and then thinking about what's going to happen to him, he fled the scene of the people that he was supposed to lead into freedom. And God says, now when you're going back, I've got a new life for you. I've got one where you're not going to make decisions out of fear. Because for all of us still thousands of years later, the more decisions that we make out of fear, the more brokenness we're going to leave behind us and the more brokenness we're going to bring into our lives. Lack of faith for us always leads to failure. Moses got into this because he thought that he had a better idea. Because he thought that he could outthink, outplan, and outmaneuver God. And I think we still do that all the time. One of my goals, stepping into something new. You know, like every time it's a new year or whatever, you make resolutions. One of my goals is to never cut corners again. Like nothing. Even if it involves a ton more work, we're going to do everything the right way all the time. There are tons of areas in our lives where, where God says, this is how I want you to live. And we say, yeah, but what if, what if this doesn't work? I think one of the big ways, and we've got an opportunity to step over this next week, is around the whole area of giving. Okay, God, tells, God cares a lot about our money, and he cares about it in a way that is, he's going to remove it from our lives. Don't freak out yet. So that we trust him as our provider instead of trusting in the power of our own money. The Bible verse that, that sums it all up uh, the most completely and gives us a great picture of God's heart behind it is Malachi 3, uh, verse 10. It might be the only Bible verse in Malachi that you underline in your Bible. But he says this, he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Tithe, that's 10%. The Bible calls us to give 10% of everything that we make back to the work of the local church, not so that we survive but so that individually we survive and we thrive in generosity, not being ruled by our stuff, but using our money uh, as things that God can use in our lives. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will pour out the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And this is where God gets honest with us where he's acknowledging the difficulty, where he's not just pretending that, oh yeah, once they become Christians, they're not gonna care about money. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
What's he saying? He's saying, I know that your natural tendency around money is you're going to spend first, you're going to save second, and then whatever's left on top, when things arise, yeah, you can give a little bit. When there's a disaster on the other side of the country or other side of the world, you can text us and such to give 10 bucks. That's good. I'll just do that so that I feel better and go to bed safely at night because, hey, I gave 10 bucks. God says, I want to flip that on its head. You give first. And that loosens the, the grip that you have over your money. Give first 10% to the local church to fund and push forward the work that the church is doing across the world, locally and globally. Give first, save second, because you have no clue what's happening, and God, our generous provider, will give us things to save. And then you live off the rest. Whoa, 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 like, like 10%, okay, that knocks it down to 90, okay, God, you understand that 90% is not as much as 100%. God's like, yes, I invented math. I love it so much, I named a book in the Bible, Numbers. There you go. First service didn't get that, so, because I didn't even say it. So, like, unique material for 11 o'clock. So you got the 90% left. I've given you money to provide for yourself and I'll continue to provide for you. So you save some of that. What economy people say is you should save about 10%. So now we're down to 80%. And this is where the, the section that we just read from Malachi, the only section on Malachi underlined in your Bible, this is where it comes true. Where he says, try me and put me to the test. Okay, I've given away 10%. I've saved away 10%. I'm down to 80%. God, what are you gonna do? He says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not, fail, will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. He's reminding us in a way that really meant a lot to the people. Your tires will last longer than you think that you will. You won't run out of money by the end of the month. Try it. Put me to the test. There's so many areas where we live and operate out of fear. God's saying, no, 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 step out of fear. Step into faith. I have a new thing for you. And a way that we get to do that and a unique thing that we only do it twice a year because we tithe uh, every time we get paid. But uh, something that we get to do uniquely twice a year is take a missions offering. This is funding the work that God is doing outside of Mountain View Sunnyside. Uh, one thing that I'm super excited about, we're going to hear next week uh, from a guy who works in a limited access country, which means if you're going to come in and say that you're a Christian, there's going to be governmental things that fight against uh, your success. That means that, that people of other religions can do stuff to you, to your church, and the government will sometimes look the other way. Uh, I don't know what the church is called, but I know that one thing that we have funded for them is a big steel door. Okay? I don't speak Arabic or whatever language. The, the, I'm trying not to say the country, so go with me on this. Uh, I don't speak the native language, so the name might not mean anything to me. In my notes, it's as Steel Door Church. We're going to take an offering that's going to go towards Steel Door Church and helping churches survive in places that want them to die. So that means that we buy a church a massive steel door so that people who don't like Jesus, who don't like the church, can't come in and vandalize the heck out of that place. I want to give to that every penny I have for the rest of my life to build stronger places for Christians to come and to worship and to tell people about the good news of the God who loves them, even if it's technically illegal to do it there. I want to buy the biggest door I can to make that a place that people can come and week after week after week hear about the good news of Jesus. And so next week we've got an opportunity to give to that. And God's calling us out of our fear and calling us into faith. 
He says, I'm going to give you spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you opportunities to do this for your ability, which is limited, to step into my ability, which is unlimited. We do this as a church here on Sundays by having people to pray on the sides. Okay, we're not there because we have an inside track with God. We're there because we're going to join our faith with your faith to say this is a thing that needs to happen. We're going to pray for this to happen. We're going to pray for this need to get met. We're going to pray for this issue to get healed. We're going to pray for this relationship to be reconciled because God says he hears us. And so we want to step into that in faith, giving God opportunities to move when we ask. We're stepping in in faith and not stepping out in fear. Another area for this is baptism. Baptism is our public declaration that that Jesus is our Savior, that everything that he talks about, about making a life new, that's what Jesus has done in me. It's an actual, tangible, physical physical way of saying I was dead to my sins and now I'm alive in Jesus. And for some of you, you hear baptism, you think I have to speak in front of people to tell them about the good things that God has done in my life. I am out because I don't speak. Now this is where God meets you. This is where our fear is met with faith in Jesus, that he will carry us through this. And we respond out of obedience, trusting that even if it might scare the life out of us, that God is going to meet us in that moment. He's going to bless us as we step in obedience and live in obedience. So if you're interested in baptism, my number uh, is on the screen. You can blow up my phone. It's on silent right now. But we'd love to put you uh, in touch with someone who can walk you through baptism. And October 15th can be your day of stepping out of fear and stepping into faith. And lastly, Moses gets a second chance to trust God through any circumstance because our destiny has no expiration date. Verse 10, Moses pled with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not good with words. I've never been, and I'm not right now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who made the person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak, hear or don't hear, see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pled, Lord, please send someone else. And the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Man, there is one person in the story who does not want a second chance. And that's Moses. He fled Egypt the first time. He is not going back. And time after time, God meets him and is pulling him into his destiny. He's pulling him out of a life of fear. He's pulling him out of a life of I screwed up the first time, I am done. He's pulling him into a second chance. God does that for us through the person of Jesus, who unlike Moses, who obeyed reluctantly, Jesus obeyed God fully, gave his life to cover our sins and invite us into a relationship with God. This is the picture of absolute obedience. This is the picture of God on our behalf, stepping into our destiny to invite us to come with him. God has, again, we said it at the beginning, he's got relationships that he wants us to restore. He wants to use us to see that happen. He's got gifts and areas of expertise that he's put in us that he wants us to say yes to. They might have been dormant for decades, but God is saying, this is your destiny. This is who I created you to be. I've got a future for you that's better than you could imagine, but it's gonna take trust on your part. 
for us, we step into that in the first way through a relationship with Jesus. And then daily, we step in by saying, okay, God, it's not me anymore, it's you. There are four times where Moses says, I can't. And every single time, God meets him with more than he expects. God meets him with more compassion, more mercy, more power than he expects. And that's what God is gonna do with us every day. He's given each of us a destiny. He's given us a reason that he made us, whether it's something to put back together, something to lead in, whatever it is for you, God has created you with it. You know what it is. And he says, I'm gonna take that from you. And even if you need a second chance, I'm gonna give that to you. And together, I'm gonna lead you into the future I have for you. I'm gonna lead you into your destiny, especially when it takes a second chance. Let's stand and pray. God, I thank you that you aren't a God that gets scared of us when we screw up, that doesn't look at us in our first disaster and say, that's it, I can't work with them. They're done, they failed me. But instead, Lord, you look at us every day with fresh ability, fresh power, fresh faith, fresh eyes, fresh mercy, fresh compassion, a fresh beginning for us to to step into the destiny that you have for us.